Welcome to Cal St. G Academy, the educational podcast of the Parish of Calvary St. George's. These podcasts are intended to inform and deepen your faith so that you can share your faith thoughtfully with the world around you. For more information about the parish, go to calvarystgeorges.org. And now, break out your moleskin prayer journal, and let's get started. The Year of the Bible is a series of Cal St. G Academy. Each episode will cover a new book of the Bible in a concise, in-depth, and ultimately edifying way. These lectures are recorded live each week at Calvary Church in New York City. So we are talking about the Gospel of John today, and nearly everyone that I've said that to in the past few weeks has had the same response. Ugh, that's my favorite. Um, And I think... Uh, The reason a lot of people love it is because of the beauty of the language, the poetry, and it has some of the best quotes uh, from any of the Gospels. But as Ben said last week, uh, the books that he talked about, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are known as the synoptic Gospels. And that's because they're more alike than they are different. They have generally the same synopsis. And the Gospel of John is set apart It's called the fourth gospel. And so we're going to look at why that is. Um, We're going to look at how it's the same, how it's similar, why it's still a gospel, just as equal as any of the other gospels. And, And then we'll look at why it's different, how it's different, and then why it's different. Um, And in order to do that, we'll take a look at who might have written it and who he was writing it for. And that might explain why, in a lot of ways, it's very different from the other three Gospels. Ben said last week that one of the questions that the Synoptic Gospels is asking is, who do you say that I am? Who do you say Jesus is? And this Gospel is asking that question in a slightly different way, but it's still asking that question. Who do we say Jesus is? And this gospel also tells us who Jesus says he is. So that's a major difference. So we'll look at that too. So how is it similar to the synoptic gospels? Um, Jesus has a long ministry in Galilee where he performs miracles, uh, signs, they're called in this gospel. He goes to Jerusalem. The cleansing of the temple happens. He walks on water. There's a multiplication of loaves. Um, There's the passion, the death, and the resurrection, all very key elements that are very similar to the other three Gospels. What are the differences? Well, there's no genealogy or account of Jesus' birth. There is no temptation in the desert, no transfiguration, and no ascension. Big events that are left out. There's no real talk of repentance and forgiveness It's not a theme in this gospel. Jesus doesn't tell parables, which is a huge element in the other gospels. Jesus speaks in these short, pithy sayings in the synoptic gospels. But in the gospel of John, he uses a lot of abstract language, and he has very long discourses that are almost philosophical in nature. So he speaks in a very different way. You almost don't recognize this way of speaking when you look at the Jesus we hear in the other three Gospels. 
Jesus overall has a very ethereal presence in this gospel. He is very he has a very mysterious way of speaking and most people don't understand him. So in order to understand why those are pretty major differences. Um, in order to understand why those differences might be, we can ask who wrote the gospel. And it might seem like a very simple answer. John wrote the gospel. And who is John? John is one of the 12. So John has a lot of names. There is John, son of Zebedee, who Jesus calls son of thunder, along with his brother James in one of the other gospels. There's John the evangelist, who we refer to as the writer. There's the beloved disciple, which is how um, he's referred to in the gospel itself. There's John the elder, who wrote the epistles to John. There's John of Patmos, or John the divine, who wrote the book of Revelation. And tradition holds that all of those Johns were the same person. Um, But it's not very likely. Um, There are some differences in those writings. But it's clear that they all came probably from the same tradition and community, which we call the Johannine community. So who is, so the gospel itself says that it was written according to the testimony of the beloved disciple. And basically through the process of elimination, people said this was John, son of Zebedee. We knew it was one of the twelve because in another gospel, the Last Supper happens. They say it's with the twelve. And there are certain scenes that only John sees. And you can kind of um, extrapolate that from the very end where it's Peter and this beloved disciple who are together. And if you read the beginning of Acts, it starts with John and Peter. And so it kind of flows really naturally that way. But there are a lot of people who disagree with that. There are people who say, um, well, if it was John, why doesn't he mention the transfiguration when we know he was there? Um, Why doesn't he mention the ascension? Some people have claimed that uh, Lazarus, who Jesus raises from the dead, is the beloved disciple. Other people have claimed it was Mary Magdalene. Um, Some people have said the beloved disciple was someone altogether who was never named and he was just around the whole time. Um, I think that sounds a little unlikely to me. Um, I think it's fair, and I think there are a lot of people who would agree with this, that even if John the Apostle didn't write um, personally this gospel, that somehow the community that um, was around him and that developed their kind of own community and their own traditions and their own practices as Christian Jews... Ultimately, that's where this text came out of. And the important thing to understand about this is if we can understand what that community was like and what they were going through, possibly at the time that this was written, it can really help us to understand uh, some of the themes in the gospel. Um, the, The evangelist who has written the gospel is very clear about why he's writing it. So we don't really have to guess. He actually comes right out and says it. He who saw this, the beloved disciple, has testified so that you may also believe. His testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth. Uh, Later, he says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe 
that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. So whoever wrote this gospel wrote it with a very clear intent, that you may come to believe, A, that Jesus is the Messiah, B, the Son of God, and that through believing that, you will have life in his name. And the theme of life is really important. Um, So what we can kind of pull together from reading this gospel and from the little pieces of historical information that we have about this time, this gospel was written probably the latest, um, not as late as some people originally thought, um, but that this community was clearly faced with persecution and threats, potentially, from other Jewish people. It seems that the controversy likely centered around their proclamation that Jesus was God. He was not just a prophet. He was not just a really important teacher. He was divine. And this proclamation would have caused some problems with certain Jewish authorities. And so the entire gospel is really focused on dividing up people who believe that Jesus was divine and people who just don't get it. So let's take a look at the prologue because it really lays out everything that this gospel is going to then back up with all the evidence of signs and situations and things that they saw that testify to what's in the prologue. And who doesn't love this prologue? I think it's the best opening to any book. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. So there are a couple of really key things just in that one section that this gospel is going to repeat and repeat and repeat um, so that you can really fully understand it. So in the other gospels, we have beginnings like Matthew, where we get the genealogy of David and connecting Jesus to David. Um, We have Luke, who actually gives us um, the Christmas story. We have uh, Mark, who starts off, I think, with the baptism of Jesus by John. And here we're starting at the very beginning. So we're connecting Jesus to the beginning of everything, to Genesis, which also starts in the beginning. And so this is immediately connecting Jesus with God. God was there. Jesus was there from the beginning. Then we have this theme of the word, the logos. Uh, And this gospel is the first time we really have that connection. And we'll see throughout this gospel that the word is heard by those who believe, by those who have the light. Light and darkness is a major theme in this gospel, and light is equivalent to life. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light. So this theme of light and darkness of seeing and blindness, of believing and not believing. There's a real dualism and a black and white situation set up here. 
And that's because John is really trying to drive his point home of the difference between what this community says Jesus is and what other people say he is. So he's making it very clear. Jesus' first words in this gospel are, come and see. So there's the literal meaning where people are asking him, where are you staying? And he says, come and see. And then there's this other level of what he's asking them to do, which is come and see, really see. Not literally see, but really see who I am. Another uh, kind of thing that really sets Jesus in the Gospel of John apart from the Jesus we see of the other Gospels is that he talks about who he is a lot. And people either believe what they hear him say or they don't. So there's another dichotomy, this other dualism that's set up between he tells people who he is and sometimes that person goes, oh, it's my Lord and my God. And then other times people are very confused and they kind of take what he has to say apart very literally. So there are these um, seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And again, in that section, he connects light to life. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And so it's just repeated over and over again that Jesus is equivalent to life. Jesus is equivalent to light. And Jesus is equivalent to the way towards light. And so John, over different stories, different signs, different miracles, different interactions with other people, breaks people apart into three categories. Believers, secret believers, and non-believers. And John is setting apart believers from both secret believers and non-believers. There's a distinction made between those two. So some examples of believers are the disciples themselves who come to believe. They come to believe first through a sign. A sign is never enough. Next, through believing what they've been told from Jesus directly or from other people. And then finally, there's also a recognition where Jesus knows them. Jesus calls them by name. Jesus has some sort of divine understanding of who they are. And when they see that, it makes them know who he is. So those are kind of three examples. We see that in disciples. We see that in the Samaritan woman at the well. Then we have secret believers. So these are people who saw the signs, these miracles, and they thought, maybe this is the Messiah. Maybe this is a a major prophet. But when they come to find more information, they can't go farther than what they've seen. There's a block there. Um, We see this in Nicodemus, who comes to Jesus at night. So again, there's that image of darkness. And he says, we know, we know that you are the son of man because of these things that you've done. So explain to me, what do we need for eternal life? And when Jesus tells him, he doesn't understand. And there's this motif of misunderstanding where Jesus tells them, and they take very literally what he's saying. What do you mean I need to be born again? I can't come out again through my mother's womb. That makes no sense. They take this very literal sense. 
And so what's happening is that Jesus is saying, if you don't understand these, the, what I'm telling you through earthly language, you can't understand this other realm of heavenly. And it's not so much that he's dividing earthly things are bad, heavenly things are good, but rather that you see through the ordinary, through earthly things, that's how you can come to understand this heavenly truth. And people who see can see through these things. And you see this with bread. Bread is not just about eating, but it is about eating. It is about people who are hungry, but you're also hungry for the bread of life. And that's what I am. Um, You know, you're thirsty. You need a drink of water. But I have living water. So it's, it's like another level of reality rather than this is, nobody needs real water. Um, You just need living water. So it's not Gnosticism. It's not this um, separating of worldly things are evil and heavenly things are good. But rather this other dimension um, that Jesus is bringing to us in these things. So the secret believers, they they believe because they see signs, um, but they can't go to that next level. So this includes, like I said, Nicodemus, um, the parents of the blind man. Uh, That's another element is that maybe they start to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, but they don't want to say it because they're afraid of getting in trouble with the Jewish authorities. And that's a common theme which we think probably had a lot to do with the community at the time who were feeling um, either threatened of being thrown out of the synagogue or it had already happened. There was this traumatic event where they had been ejected from the synagogue. So there's obviously a lot of fear where people are not wanting to say outright what they believe, and this gospel is challenging them on that. And then you have non-believers, and this is kind of important, I think, um, as a distinction. This gospel isn't really talking about people who haven't heard about Jesus or who just kind of believe in something else. Non-believers are very specific in this gospel. They are people who are out to murder Jesus. And so it's very problematic because they're referred to very often, I think 70 times, as the Jews. And this gets used later to justify violence against Jewish people, which is a real problem. John is being very specific when he talks about this group. It's not only people who don't believe, but people who are actively trying to kill Jesus and in the own time of this gospel who are persecuting the people who believe, threatening them with removing them from the synagogue and perhaps even um, killing them and believing that they're doing God's work. So it's very specific there. And you'll find that the people um, who appear in this gospel who are representative of that group, um, a lot of times they're reporting Jesus to the authorities because he healed someone on the Sabbath, um, or it's the authorities themselves who are like, we need to kill him because he's claiming to be God. So it's very specific. So I don't have time, of course, to go through all of the I am sayings and what they mean, but I thought I would just talk a little bit about the Good Shepherd theme and this idea of being seen by Jesus, which allows you to um, see who he is. So I'm just going to read you um, the I am statement of the Good Shepherd. 
Very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by another way is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not know the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock one shepherd. So there are a couple of places where this happens, where people hear his voice and know him. Um, And one of them happens in the very, very beginning when he calls Nathaniel. And Jesus says to Nathaniel, you know, I, oh, you are this, I forget what he says exactly, but he, Jesus acts like he recognizes him, even though they've never met before. And Nathaniel says, where did you get to know me? And Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree. And just from that statement, I saw you, Nathanael replies, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Because he was seen. And Jesus makes an interesting statement. where He says, you'll see greater things than these. You will see angels ascending and descending on a ladder. And he refers to himself as the place where that happens. And we know that um, Jacob's ladder, where he sees angels ascending and descending, was in a particular place. And Jesus is saying, that place is me. This place between earth and heaven. It, it comes through me. So it's another image of that. Then we have the Samaritan woman at the well. What does she see at first? She sees a Jew. You're asking me for water? I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. That doesn't make sense to me. Jesus explains the difference between just water and then the living water that he offers. And he knows her. He knows that she has five husbands. She then declares him, you are a prophet. So that's like that first step that I talked about where a lot of people get to because of this sign. Jesus then says to her, this Messiah you've heard of, I am he. She hears it and believes. And so when she goes to the village, what does she say? She says, come and see. And people believe what she has said. So there's this idea of not just seeing but hearing, that there's this double element of faith, that being seen. And what does she tell everybody? She says, this man knew me. He knew everything I'd ever done. And it's that being known level that brings to things. Um, The blind man who is healed... When they ask him, who, who do you think Jesus is? He says, 
I think he's a prophet. That's as far as he gets. And then he speaks to Jesus. Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the blind man says, yes, who is he? And Jesus says, I am he. The blind man says, Lord, I believe. So there's this, these stages that are repeated over and over again. And then, of course, after the resurrection, we see this again. Uh, Mary Magdalene, who's at the tomb, who thinks Jesus is the gardener. Um, she speaks with him for a while, and it, but until he calls her name, Mary, immediately she knows who he is because she was seen for who she was. Um, so that's another image of this, what does light mean? Um, what does darkness mean? What does blindness really mean? Uh, these themes in the gospel are all pointing to knowing who Jesus really is, who is my Lord and my God, as Thomas says. Um, and of course, Thomas being perhaps the most famous example of, you see because you have believed, blessed are those who, who believe because of what they've heard. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Cal St. G Academy. All of these podcasts are recorded at live events and lectures hosted by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. Want to hear more? Stop by the church sometime and attend one of these events live or swing by one of our many services where we seek to rightly divide the word of truth week by week with sermons that always point to where we end and God begins. Find out more about all of our events and offerings by visiting calvarystgeorges.org. And if these free podcasts have meant something to you, and you feel led to support our ministry, head on over to calvarystgeorges.org slash giving and make a donation today. Thanks again, and we hope to see you soon.